This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of June 2nd and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 133 of Defender Radio. We're all about Marcy this week. Marcy Potter is our newest team member at APFA, our office and database administrator. Marcy is an animal advocate, trained rehabilitator, and an absolute machine at organizing our office, our databases, and, frankly, me. Marcy joined me recently to talk about her past, her future, and what people need to know about finding wildlife near their homes. Tell me a bit about you. Who are you? Why are you here? What What's your interest in all of this? Well, I have always had, you know, tried to figure out what I wanted to do in life. And my whole life I've been passionate about animals, and I know everybody says that. Um, but once I discovered wildlife and wildlife rehabilitation and fighting for wildlife who don't have much of a voice, in North America at least, um, I got really passionate about um, helping them and sticking up for them. And that's, you know, kind of what everything turned into for my life. Well, what, what was the first step? I mean, did you just kind of wake up and be like, hey, I'm going to work for wildlife? Or did you sort of go through any kind of process of, you know, working at Tim Hortons and rebelling and liberating <laughs> chipmunks? What, what, what's the story? Okay, how, so... how did you get from growing up and loving wildlife to working for APFA? Okay, so basically I got a degree in school that I kind of was mediocre, temp- tempered, you know, about just very um, not too interested in, worked in it for a while, changed What, what was the degree? <laughs> Journalism. <laughs> oh, that's a bad degree to have, let me tell you. <laughs> should also be noted that I only had most of a diploma in journalism. Oh, most? Most. I think I'm a credit shy from about 12 yeah. years ago. Yeah, I worked in the field for over a decade. But anyway, continue. Wow. Okay. You, so you worked a bit in journalism. Worked journalism, kept searching, searching, searching with what I wanted to do, went from job to job. And um, originally, we're from my husband and I are from the States. Um, his job said, hey, want to move to Canada? And so we up and moved. I didn't have to work for a while, so I kind of volunteered at different places to see what I wanted to do, just kind of searching for my passion. And I ended up at the Wildlife Rescue Association in Burnaby and volunteering, and it just, something finally clicked. And I volunteered almost full-time for quite a while and then started taking all the courses for rehabbing and started as a casual employee then, or they hired me as a casual employee. And then it kind of just worked up into, um, do you want to be a wildlife rehabilitator? And I just kept going from there. Um, And then rehabilitation can burn you out, but I still had the passion wanting to fight for animals. And um, I met Leslie a few times. She came out and, you know, when we were um, removing a skunk from a dumpster and things like that. And I happened to see a ad that they were hiring and just 
went through the roof and thought it would be completely perfect for me and and you guys and here I am. All right, and that's Leslie Fox, our esteemed executive director. Yes. Um, yes. Um and we'll only say nice things about her while we're recording. Oh, okay. okay. Yes. Um because she does listen to these. Oh. Um yeah. <laughs> So what's it been like for you? I mean, going from wildlife rehab, which is a very hands-on, uh, difficult job. I, I have the utmost respect for anyone who's worked in that field um, because it is, while you do save lives and you make that difference, there's a lot of things you can't do and you do see a lot of pain and suffering. Um, mm-hmm. So what's the transition for you been like going from that front line uh, type work to being on the advocacy side where you're still on the front lines, you're still seeing some bad things, but it's kind of a half step removed. Right. It kind of is a half step removed, but it's also a step forward and is on a different path. It's, you know, when you're doing rehab, there's permits and things that you're allowed to do, things you're not allowed to do. You see people doing things that they shouldn't be doing and you just want to scream sometimes and change laws and change things to make it work. And that was part of the frustration. Um, And, you know, you do see a lot of death. So I did back off and did some more admin stuff for that organization. Um, But being with APSA is a step, I feel almost like two steps forward because that frustration you see things getting done and things getting rectified and and things moving forward there are you know things that are going backwards sometimes but you know you actually see laws people that are passionate about changing things for wildlife and and people that are signing petitions and donating to help us and it's incredible that it seems like you can actually make some change in the bigger picture rather than just with an individual life like in rehab. We'll be right back with more from Marcy Potter. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com or call 416-750-9453. Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at Bearsmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. 
Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel leg hold, conibear, and other body gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Furbearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at furbearerdefenders.com to find out how you can give hope for our furbearing friends. This is Defender Radio. We're back with more from Marcy Potter, the latest addition to the APFA team and a trained rehabilitator. Um, one of the things you, you've talked about uh, during our staff meetings, and we've emailed a bit about this, is, is a change in BC wildlife policy. And this is something that we're, we're still looking at and we're going to be um, campaigning on. And that is uh, that has to do with invasive species. Uh, do you want to outline what that whole issue is? Yes, the Schedule C wildlife for the BC government are a list of wildlife that are considered quote-unquote invasive. Some kind of technically aren't, but most of them are. And for the BC, for permitting purposes for rehabilitators, um, the BC government has put stipulations saying you cannot release um invasive or the Schedule C wildlife, um, which puts the rehabilitators in um, a bad situation where, yeah, the, the public can bring them in and we can rehab them, but most rehabilitators only have a nine-month permit for uh, wildlife to be on site. And that not even that not being said, um, what do you do with them if you can't release them? So basically they're asking wildlife rehabilitators on their own dime to just take all these wild animals, gray squirrels, starlings, uh, sometimes, some cases, crows. Some permits have crows, some don't. Um, All these um, wildlife and just asking them to euthanize them on on our own dime, on rehabbers' own dimes. All rehabbers are nonprofit. Nobody's making a profit off of this. Um, And putting rehabbers under an immense amount of stress, let alone euthanizing innocent wildlife. So this Schedule C wildlife has been um, on permits for quite a while, but the the um, bylaw, I guess it's not a bylaw, but it's never really been enforced, but the government came out last year and said they're going to enforce it. There's going to be fines. There's going to be charges if people don't follow what they're saying. And so now the Wildlife Rehabilitators Network of BC is um, been trying to negotiate with them for the last 10 years on getting this off the table, making some kind of compromises, and it's just, you know, a step forward and four steps back. It just never gets anywhere. So it's still ongoing, and we're still in talks. Well, something I find interesting, um, like when I've dealt with invasive species, um, both in this role and as a journalist prior to this, uh, when I was doing environmental stuff, uh, I talk about invasive species like the emerald ash borer, which is decimating forests and was imported illegally from uh, Asia, 
we look at things like the uh, white nose syndrome that's hitting bats and was brought over. It's a fungus. We look at invasive species, whether they be plant or animal, that are truly wreaking havoc on ecosystems. And then in BC, there's talk about the gray squirrel as if it is the devil incarnate. <laughs> e even though there is no evidence to suggest that gray squirrels are in any way endangering other wildlife or other plant life. So I kind of look at it and I say, what's the problem here? And I think the other thing that's that, that should be noted is that these are not new. These did not just show up a week ago. Uh, mm -hmm. These animals have been in BC for a long, long time. Maybe not long in terms of evolution, but long in terms of policy and procedure. Um, so what is the driving force, do you think, behind this, what I would call, misguided effort to control a wildlife population that doesn't really seem to need to be controlled in any way? I am not completely sure. Um, I know things change as government positions, people come in and out of different government positions. Um, like you said, gray squirrels, I know for years people thought that gray squirrels were pushing out the native Douglas squirrel. And there has been study after study very recently that has shown that they don't push them out and they actually coexist together and they, they have their own territories. They're not like living next to each other, but they, they've somehow sorted out whose territory is whose. And this is just, you know, re no reason for it. I'm not sure. It's just an always back and forth with the government. Um, one of the things too, I might mention is the government itself has no invasive species wildlife management plan at all. And they're relying solely on wildlife rehabilitators to just euthanize them as they come in the door, where the amount of, of squirrel, gray squirrels that are released back into the wild by rehabilitators compared to what's actually out there is negligible. And the popu there's no population control. There's, yeah, there's just, you know, if they... Have, they have no management plan themselves and just to rely on a nonprofit. People that spend their lives trying to save lives is, is just ridiculous. Well, and that's what the BC government seems to be known for these days when it comes to wildlife. Um, and that's evident through their caribou protection plan, which is uh, a species that's endangered uh, or at risk due to habitat loss but they're killing wolves to protect them. Um, so, yeah, it's, <laughs> let's just make stuff up as we go. Um, yeah. And I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you um, is, how, you're, is that you making noise? Mm -mm. You're making noise. No. That wasn't me. Anyway. What is it? I don't know. Something, some, something bunged, banged, binged. Well, maybe that was something. Oh, I set my water that. bottle down. Uh, it, it, well, I'm, I'm keeping that in just to prove a point. No. <laughs> uh, so in your experience as a wildlife rehabber, one of the things that we come across frequently is um, what to do when wildlife is found 
And that's something you've written about for us. We've posted online. That's something I've talked about with pretty much every wildlife rehabber I know from coast to coast to coast. Um, so can you give me sort of the quick summary? And this is something I think we just constantly have to keep putting out there. If someone finds a baby animal, uh, be it a bird, a mammal, amphibian, whatever, what protocol should they be following? Okay, so... Most importantly, not all baby animals need to be rescued. The parents cannot be on top of them 24-7. So a lot of times, um, you know, people come across something and just pick them up. And I always compare it to um, a child and its parents in a grocery store. And the kid runs down the next aisle and, you know, whizzes sight of mom for like two minutes you're not going to grab the kid and just take him to the police station. You're going to try and find the parent or just leave them and they'll probably sort it out. So what you need to do is um, it depends on whether you're talking birds or mammals, but let's discuss mammals. Most mammals are left for, you know, at least a few hours every so often during the day. So the parents can go find food or find a new den if they're being disturbed or things like that. Um, what you need to do is just monitor the young one for a few hours. For rabbits, though, rabbits can't, parents can leave them all day long. So what I would say is monitor the young for a day. And if parents don't come back, then you would call a wildlife rehabilitator and assess the situation with them over the phone. Um, don't pick them up because human scent will be then on a mammal's body and the parents can reject them when they come back. If you do happen to move one out of, you know, danger's way, like in the road or a sidewalk or something, set them somewhere secluded but close by so the parents can still find them. But you'll need to rub them down with some kind of citrus fruit very lightly so it's mass descent of the human, of, of yourself. But most, mostly you're going to want to leave them, monitor them, um, parents don't come back, call your local wildlife rehabilitator, have the situation assessed, and then you just go from there. If there is signs of injury, lethargy, um, blood, obviously, any kind of um, injury, then you would want to just pick them up and take them to your wildlife rehabilitator. That's the show for this week. I'd like to thank Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of Defender Radio and all of you for joining us this week. You can find out more about Marcy and what we've been up to at FurBearDefenders.com. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.